0: As delightful as parenting is, there's still something really unfair about the whole situation. Today on The Voice of Prophecy, The Pain of Parenthood. Think about the astonishing thing that happens when you become a parent, when you bring a child into this world. I mean, here's this brand new human being who just won't survive without you. You and I aren't like the animals, whose infants are on their feet in a matter of hours and in some cases, living independently in less than a year. Our commitment is much bigger, much more profound. We assume full responsibility for another human being for roughly two decades. And in some ways, for the rest of our lives. And there's no getting ready for this. We have no idea what it's going to be like until it actually begins. We don't really understand the late night feedings. Or a baby that cries but can't tell you what's wrong. Or the soul-sickening worry when your kid is sick and something is wrong. Or a child who gets a little bit older and now figures out what your buttons are. They can push them and start to agitate you when they're manipulating your emotions because they can read you. Nothing gets you ready for this. That moment when you catch yourself saying exactly the same kinds of things your parents said to you or the endless trips to the school for concerts and fundraisers and soccer games and basketball games or The first time someone breaks your child's heart and there's nothing you can do except hug her and cry with her or, or, and now I'm speaking as a dad, the first time a boy shows interest in your daughter and you panic because you know the mind of a teenage boy all too well. Think about all the stuff that comes with parenting. What is it that actually compels us to do it? Why would anybody take this kind of risk? Well, the theory of evolution might suggest that the reason we have children is obvious. It's to propagate the species, to keep our race alive. We reproduce because we have a hardwired survival instinct. But the reality of parenting seems completely at odds with Mr. Darwin. The experience of raising a child tells a much different story. It's not just a matter of instinct and survival there is absolutely something else going on. A couple of years ago, I was at this spring choir recital at my daughter's school, and even after accounting for my obvious bias as a proud father, I have to say that the kids did a spectacular job. I mean, it was a really good concert, which is always a pleasant surprise when you're forced to go to a school concert. This was the kind of performance I might actually be willing to pay a few bucks to see. Now, I've got two kids, and both of them were performing that night. And as I watched them sing and I watched them play their instruments, in the dark of that auditorium, I suddenly remembered some advice that older parents had given me the day my kids were born. You know the advice. Enjoy this while it lasts, because it's not going to last long. This is going to be over in a heartbeat. So I sat there in the auditorium, quietly adding up the days that were left. I've got one daughter in high school now and another one going into high school. And as I did the math, I realized that it's now just a matter of months until somebody leaves for college, or whatever it is she's going to want to do when she's done with high school. I suddenly realized the clock has been ticking faster than I thought. And here I am, no longer a young father in his twenties, but a middle-aged man whose nest will soon be empty. And I'll be honest, I've always considered it the father's job to push the babies out of the nest, to encourage the kids to leave home, grow up, and become independent. But on that night, I wasn't ready to let go. And I know that this is completely out of biblical context, but as I watched my kids perform, the words of Hosea chapter 11 suddenly popped into my head. How can I give you up? How can I let you go? It was this moment when parenting suddenly seems cruel. I mean, you bring this person into the world. You pour everything you are and everything you've got into this tiny person. And you love them and train them and raise them. And in the process, they become your whole world. But then you remember that these kids aren't really yours. The whole purpose of the exercise is to get your kids out of the door. To give them away to a world that will never love them like you do. The painful truth is that you have children, in order to lose them. And I know, if everything works the way it should, my children will outlive me, and I'll never really lose them, because there will be phone calls and birthday cards, and if I live close by, Thanksgiving and Christmas. But that moment that I had in the auditorium, where I suddenly saw the magnificent women that my daughters are becoming, that moment is never coming back. That moment is gone forever it turns out that the most valuable things in life are the things you can't actually have forever. I mean you can take things that don't really matter, money, gold coins, priceless artifacts, works of art, and you can lock those things away so that they're still there in 50 years and they won't change. You can record a concert and you can listen to the same notes played exactly the same way over and over again and while you might still enjoy it the 100th time, it's not as valuable as the things you're not allowed to hang on to the things that change all the time I mean think about it the day you got married that's gone guys that moment when the doors opened at the back of the church and your bride started walking down the aisle it only lasted for a couple of minutes and then it was over the moment your child first comes home from the hospital that's gone it's in the past First words, first steps, macaroni and glitter glued to a piece of construction paper, homemade Father's Day presents, the excitement of little kids at Christmas, that first violin recital, those are some of the best moments of your life. But you're not allowed to have them forever. And of course, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Intellectually, you know that none of those things are going to last, but still you do it. You take the risk. You start a family. You pour everything you have into this, knowing that no single moment along the way is going to last. But you also know it's worth it. For some reason, the temporary nature of the whole thing makes every moment worth even more. And honestly... You wouldn't want your child to stay little forever. You wouldn't want them to not grow up and head out into the world. But at the same time, I just keep remembering those words from Hosea, and I know I'm quoting them out of context, but they play in my mind over and over again. How in the world can I give you up? As it turns out, the right thing to do is the most rewarding thing and the most heartbreaking thing all at the same time. And then I think about that great, breathtaking risk that our Heavenly Father took in creating us in the first place. It was, in many ways, just like the birth of a child to a human family. It was a cause for celebration, a moment of overwhelming joy. On that day, the Bible tells us, when this world emerged from the hand, or more precisely from the voice of God, the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Our birth into this universe was cause for celebration. The sudden appearance of people was the crowning act of creation. Everything else that God made, He declared it good. But on the day He made us, He stood back with the indescribable joy of a new father, and He declared it very good. You and I were the whole point. This planet was a nursery, a cradle for the human race. Now I know that in recent times we've started to question that. We've told ourselves that this idea that human beings are the apex of creation is arrogant. We've convinced ourselves that the reason our planet is now in sharp decline is because we made ourselves the whole point of creation. And to some extent, that's true. Ever since our fall from grace, we have made the world our throne, instead of making it a showcase of admiration for the Creator. We have taken God's creation and made it a grotesque monument to the horror of selfish ambition. So yes, our biggest problems do stem from the fact that we made ourselves the whole point. But at the same time, to say that this world is not about us To say that human beings are just one more animal, of no more consequence or value than a squirrel or a rat, well that actually robs God of his original intent. Creation is about God, but at the same time he made us his crowning act. We are made in the image of God. So think about what a stunning risk God took. Of any parent in the history of parenthood, he was the one who could have enjoyed every moment of parenting forever. What God made in the beginning wasn't transitory. Nobody grew old, nobody left, nobody died, at least not in the beginning. It was the one time in the history of humanity where you could step into the same river over and over again. God could have enjoyed His creation forever. But in order for us to be a real family, in order for our existence to be profoundly rewarding for both the parent and the child, it had to come with a huge risk. There had to be the possibility that God's children could actually reject him. Now, I'm going to take a short break and then I'll come right back and talk a little more about this. And I'll tell you what thoughts I had listening to Beethoven the other day. I'll be right back.
1: Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Are you searching for answers to some of life's biggest questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides can help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or call us at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.
0: And we are back from the break. I'm Sean Boonstra. You are listening to The Voice of Prophecy. You know, I've got to admit that I'm a pretty big fan of Beethoven. I mean, there's just so much of the composer himself infused into his music, so much pathos, so much deep human emotion. For me, Beethoven is not just a delightful tune or some nice sounding background noise, it's actually a work of audible philosophy a musical statement on the nature of our world and the nature of human beings. And I know I'm not alone in that opinion because I've seen it actually said that if Johann Sebastian Bach was the mathematician of music, then Beethoven was its philosopher. And and when you consider the fact that Beethoven was deaf, that many of Beethoven's greatest masterpieces were actually composed in a silent prison, what he accomplished is even more amazing. It's no wonder many people consider him the greatest composer of all time. Now think about this carefully. Even if you're not into classical music, I'm guessing you would recognize a lot of Beethoven's tunes. Stuff like Fur Elise or the second movement of the Pathétique Sonata. or or Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, or, of course, the, the granddaddy of them all, his Ninth Symphony, which is perhaps his most famous composition. You know, the one that gave us the melody for Ode to Joy. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. You know the tune. When you and I hear some of those really famous Beethoven melodies, we instinctively recognize them, and most of us know that Beethoven wrote them. But consider the fact that Beethoven never heard his own music, at least a lot of it except in his imagination and imagine what it might be like in the world to come if Beethoven actually gets to sit down in heaven with his brand new sense of hearing and actually hear some of his own works for the very first time now here's the thing I want you to think about because while you and I will probably never write music like Beethoven and nobody's about to put a bust of me on top of the piano what happened to him still reflects on the reality of our existence Here's a man who's unusually gifted, and he discovers that he's losing the very sense he needs to enjoy his gift. If you go back and read some of Beethoven's personal letters, you'll see some of the mental anguish he endured as he realized that his hearing was slipping away. He had a gift, the kind of gift that won't let you rest unless you're writing, the kind of gift that drives you every waking moment to write the tunes you hear in your head, and then you lose your sense of hearing. It just seems unusually cruel. And I guess you could argue that his music might not have been as passionate if he didn't face such anguish of soul. And you could argue that the greatest art has almost always come from those who deal with grief. But still, to lose your hearing? When when you're Beethoven? One of his contemporaries, I think it was Wagner, said that for Beethoven to lose his hearing is like a painter going blind. It's the worst possible outcome. And of course, Beethoven isn't the only one who's ever suffered. Maybe you have, when you suddenly lose something that's all-important. Maybe you pour yourself into your college major, you specialize, you rack up a mountain of debt over six or eight years, and you tell yourself it's worth it because you're headed for your dream career, and then you find out nobody's hiring. And now you're back to bussing tables only with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Or maybe you and your wife save up for retirement, and you even find a little place near the water like you've always wanted, and then an unexpected illness takes it all away from you. Or maybe even one of you dies. Or maybe you have a child on the organ donor list, and every day you keep on holding out hope that the phone's going to ring. But no suitable donor can be found in time, and now you have to visit the grave of your child. You see, Beethoven might have been famous, but he's not the only one who's been crushed by disappointment. And it doesn't have to be so melodramatic. Sometimes it's as simple as losing your health slowly over the years and realizing that right now is as good as life is going to get. From here on out, you've got nothing to look forward to but a slow slide towards the finish line. Your body starts to fall apart. You suddenly discover that the Grim Reaper did not lose your number. You really are going to die just like everybody else. Just when you're smart enough to enjoy your life a bit, suddenly you start losing the very faculties you need to enjoy it. Listen to me carefully. At some point or other everybody's going to discover the most important things in life seem to be the things you can't hang on to. You bring children into this world just to give them away to the world. You choose a marriage partner knowing full well that one of you will bury the other one of these days. And every time you look into the mirror, you discover that your own childhood, your own youth is something you weren't able to hang on to. And all the while, there's something in our human heart that screams against the injustice. Even though we know everybody gets old and dies, even though we know it's a rule of human existence, there's still something in our hearts reminding us this isn't right. It might be the way it is, but it's not the way it should be. Now, here's what I want you to think about, and I want you to think about this quite carefully. Logic tells us we will die. Things are going to fall apart. Life is hard and cruel and way too short. But if all we are is the product of random chance, if we're just an insignificant round planet on the edge of a second-class galaxy in the middle of nowhere, then why does insignificance, why does injustice bother us? If Darwin was right, and everything around us is just random selection, survival of the fittest, then our logic should put our minds at ease about the cruel nature of human existence. We know we're going to die, so we should just live with it. We know the world is nasty, so we should just get used to it. And yet we keep working on it. Something in us drives us to find solutions. Something makes us want to make it better. And personally, I'm convinced the reason we know the world is cruel, the reason we feel such a profound sense of loss when tragedy strikes, is because we still have this vague memory of a better world and a better time. Now I know some people dismiss the story of Eden as nothing but ancient mythology, but then please explain to me why we hang on to this stubborn idea that the world needs improving. What exactly are we comparing our imperfect world to? How do we know there's something wrong? Why would a deaf Beethoven still have the burning desire to create music? Why does he cut the legs off his piano and lay it on the floor with his ear to the ground desperately listening to whatever vibrations he can pick up through the floor? Why does a man whose arm is trapped under a rock in the desert cut his own arm off to save his life? Why not just realize reality and give up and die? What is it about the human race that keeps us striving and hoping and pushing forward? And where in the world do we even get the idea that there is a forward direction? Actually, that's one of the big questions that really baffles me when it comes to naturalistic explanations for human existence. If the universe really did start with an impersonal bang, if there was nobody driving the process, nobody directing traffic, if you will, Why would evolution drive us upwards? Why is better the direction we think we're headed? Now, of course, I know the theory. It's survival of the fittest. The best adaptations, the best mutations, those are the ones that stick around because their owners have a better chance of survival. So in the long run, the animals that have those adaptations, well, there are just more of them. But still, I want you to ask yourself why. Why are we here? What exactly is the purpose of our existence? Where is evolution supposedly taking us? Why do we have this hope, this dream, that things are going to get better? Why is the direction just naturally assumed to be upward? Why? Why are we here? Maybe the Bible is telling the truth. Maybe we didn't start out in a tooth and nail, a tooth and claw kind of world. Maybe we really did start with God's ideal, and we still have this distant memory of what perfection actually looks like. Maybe we can imagine a world without pain, without suffering, because once upon a time, we actually had it. Maybe the reason our sensibilities are offended when a gifted composer loses his hearing is because somehow we know it's not supposed to be like this. And maybe the reason I can sit in a school concert and suddenly feel a twinge of sorrow as I realize my kids really will grow up and leave home. Maybe that's because this whole circle of life thing wasn't the first plan, and families drifting apart and generations dying were never part of God's original idea. Okay, before I wax too sentimental, let's take another quick break to talk about the Discover Bible School, because if there's one thing that doesn't change... It's the Word of God. So listen to this, and I'll be right back.
1: Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if your life has lost its meaning, just moving from one task to another without any answers to the really important questions in life? Like, is it possible to have a fresh start and to find real happiness? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for to this and to all of life's big questions. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible guides. You can choose to study in the format that's most convenient for you. You may either do the lessons completely online or have them mailed right to your home. Both options are completely free of charge. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.
0: Hey, we are back from the break. You are listening to The Voice of Prophecy. My name, Sean Boonstra. And in the last segment, I was talking about this ancient memory we all seem to have about a better time and a better place. I was talking about this sense of outrage we get when things go wrong. But if we know when things are wrong, that means that you and I also have a sense of what it might look like if things were right. You know, the other day I was reading the words of Jesus in John chapter 16, where he's about to return to heaven and leave his disciples behind. And honestly, the picture he paints for the disciples isn't pretty. In fact, he virtually guarantees they're going to suffer hardship and persecution. They're going to drive you out of the synagogue, he says. They're going to put you to death. But then he says this in John 16 verse 20, And I want you to listen carefully. Because this really speaks to this hope we all seem to have that one day things will get better. Here's what Jesus said in John 16, verse 20. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy, that a human being was born into the world therefore you now have sorrow but i will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you jesus compares living in this world to a woman giving birth now unfortunately that's not all good news because as parents know contractions get bigger and more frequent and more painful as you get closer to the birth and in Matthew 24, Jesus points out that this world's contractions, the famine, the disease, the war, the pestilence, that actually gets worse before it gets better. But then the moment comes. The baby is born. And right at that moment, you suddenly forget all the pain, and you just live in the moment. It's like the sight of the baby completely wipes your memory. It's over, and the joy is so big that all the pain suddenly seems very small. That's the future of our planet. There was a moment when we had it all, a perfect world, a perfect relationship with the Creator, an existence free from pain and suffering. But then we threw it away, and the wages of sin is death. Right now, we're living with the consequences. What we did took an incredible toll on us and the world. After sin, you and I became like Beethoven without a sense of hearing. God made us to enjoy Him, to see Him in every corner of creation, but now our senses have been dulled. You know, the Bible teaches that the moment God created the world in the first place, the morning stars sang together. All the sons of God shouted for joy. It was this moment that took the universe's breath away. Angels could not believe how perfect creation was. They could see and hear the most perfect composition ever created. But then you and I walked away from it, and right now we're living with the consequences. Like Beethoven, laying on the floor beside his piano, desperate to hear a note, any note, anything from God. You and I cry bitter tears. Hang in there, Jesus says. The moment is coming when you've said your last goodbye when the beautiful things of life are going to stop slipping out of your grasp and I will give you the ability to hear the music again. Right now it is painful. It's like childbirth, but it will soon be over and the pain will be gone. Now that's the God you find in the Bible. That's the reason I find so much hope in the pages of Scripture. The day really is coming when I won't have to mourn the fact that I'm going to lose it all. My kids my health, my life. The day is coming, the Bible says in Revelation 21, when God himself will reach out his hand and wipe away every tear, and the music will start to play again forever. But as it is written, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 2, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those Who love him. We can't even imagine what it will be like when we're safe at home and our senses are turned back on, when we really comprehend and sense the presence of God again. Paul writes a little bit later in 1 Corinthians 13 For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So for right now we have to put up with loss. For right now I have to sit in a dark auditorium and watch my kids and know. They're going to grow up, they're going to leave home, and things are going to change. But I also know the moment is coming when change is finished and will forever be in the presence of Him who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm Sean Boonstra. This has been The Voice of Prophecy.
1: Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions? Answers to help you make sense of the chaos you see all around you in today's world. Answers to the deepest questions in life, like, Where is God when we suffer? The stories of pain and suffering in this world surround us at every turn. There's a world of hurt. And maybe you're wondering, Does God see it all? In this world of pain, is there really a chance for true happiness in this life? Is there a secret to living a happy, contented life amidst the chaos? Well, if you're searching for answers to these and other of life's most challenging questions, we are here to help. The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at our toll-free number 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There's never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. You'll find answers and guides like Does my life really matter to God? and From Guilty Sinner to Forgiven Saint. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides as the major themes of the Bible come to life. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.